0: Thank you, Rick and Nancy. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We're continuing to look at the I am statements of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned last week, who is Jesus Christ? It's important for us to know because there's a lot of counterfeits. There's a lot of other ideas. There's a lot of other priorities. There's a lot of other treasures and values that we'd like to take away the allegiance we have in Christ and and replace Christ in our lives with these people. Now, as I mentioned, there's a lot of counterfeits. When it comes to counterfeits, you can spend all day looking at the counterfeits, but the only way to recognize the real deal as opposed to a counterfeit piece of currency is to know the genuine article very well. So in order for us to be able to know who Jesus is as opposed to all the counterfeits that would clamor for our value and affection and attention, we have to know who the real Jesus is. We look at the I am statements in the book of John. As I mentioned, Jesus said I am 25 different times in the book of John. That's quite remarkable simply because when Moses was speaking to God at the burning bush, he said, who are you? And people are going to ask, who has asked you to come and lead us out of Israel. He said, you tell them, I am sent you. The word I am is in all capitals. That's the name of God Almighty. Jesus said, I am, 25 times. Six of those times, he said something specific. As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago at the well, speaking with the Samaritan woman, he said, I am the Messiah. And, of course, he spoke then about the living water. If anyone would come and drink of this water, he had never thirst. Last week, we looked at Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. He makes another statement here in this passage of Scripture. I'm going to give you a little background. This is the day after one of the most three important feasts or holidays on the Jewish calendar. It was the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles was an important feast, one of three very important feasts where they celebrated the column of fire that led the children of Israel through the wilderness and illuminated their way. And they celebrated this. There were many people in Jerusalem that wouldn't ordinarily have been there. This is the day after that feast. There would still be people coming through town in that they ended up the feast late the night before. They wouldn't have gone home then because it had been dark, and they were coming back to the temple. Jesus taught in the temple all through the feast, and he was teaching on this day when this event happened that, of course, concluded with the I Am statement that we'll be looking at. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the Scriptures read, please? But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. This is the night before. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, "'Woman, where are those accusers of yours? "'Has no one condemned you?' "'She said, "'No one, Lord.'" Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us who Jesus is. Thank you for revealing his actions and his words to us. Help us to learn from both this morning. And it is His name we pray, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> Jesus is busy teaching. He has been teaching the last several days of the feast, and he's early in the morning. His teaching said all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching in the temple as he normally did. Then we have a rude interruption. The rude interruption, of course, in verse three. The scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? That's important to know that they barged in. They barged in unannounced, uninvited, and interrupted something that was very important going on. That was the teaching of Jesus Christ and people who wanted to hear the teaching. Now the first thing we notice about this interruption is we have some questionable facts. The transgression in question involves two people. This woman was caught in adultery. In the very act, they said. However, they only brought one person. They brought the woman. Where was the man? Now, the two things we have to understand. If they were so eager to uphold the law, the law had severe consequences for both people. Now, they were coming with only half of the equation here. And we also have to understand this. You can't have it both ways. You see, the Jewish society, as most societies then, was patriarchal. That meant the men were the boss. The men ruled. And women pretty much obeyed the men, which told us this situation to happen, the man would take responsibility for being the leader in the transgression because men were the leaders in everything else. Therefore, the main one who was responsible for this would have been the man. Even though both were involved, the man being the leader as they claimed to be in society would have the moral responsibility for the fact. So he's not there, so it throws the whole thing into question unless maybe he was part of the whole scheme. So the whole thing is questionable. The whole situation is questionable, and not only are the facts questionable, but it was an unnecessary consultation. This was the council. This was the Sanhedrin. They and they alone had the responsibility and they and they alone had the authority to pass any judgment on a transgression. Jesus was not a judge. Jesus was not even a member of the Sanhedrin. They did not need his input to proceed. Oh, it goes even further. They didn't want his input. As we see a little bit later on, All through the preceding chapter, they were discrediting Jesus Christ. Why would they want his input right now? So we understand it was an unnecessary consultation. They didn't have to have anything that Jesus said in order to proceed with their uh, proceedings. They could have just done it without him. But they interrupted his teaching in front of all the people. Now, of course, we know the obvious objective. John mentions it to set a trap. They thought they had it. Either way Jesus answered, they knew they had it. If Jesus said, oh, no, 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 we, we, we're not going to stone this, this, this lady, that would put him in direct contradiction with the law, with the scriptures, with Deuteronomy, with Exodus. That would put him in direct contradiction with the scriptures, and it would pain him in condoning sinful behavior. But now, if he said, Yes, that's what the law says, the law says she should be stoned, and she should be stoned, two things would have happened. First of all, he would have been seen as heartless and unfeeling to sinners. And if you remember, that was the one thing that sinners would come and they'd find a welcome with Jesus. We know by no means when Jesus preached that he was soft on sin. But those who were sinners and recognized it knew they could come and find a welcome with Jesus Christ and find unconditional love. And if he were to take a hard line and say, yes, she should be stoned, even though that's what the law said, they knew that they would ruin him in public opinion, but even worse, If he said she should be stoned, he could be brought before the Roman authorities. You see, the Roman authorities had passed a decree. It was against Roman law for the Sanhedrin to pass a sentence of execution. So the whole thing was irrelevant. They couldn't stone her anyway. What they wanted to do couldn't happen anyway. And the whole debate was just totally useless. There was no reason, but they knew however Jesus answered, they had him. They had a trap set. No way he could get out. However, their inescapable trap trapped the trappers. First thing that happens, Jesus ignores the irrelevant debate. Now you would think Jesus would snap this right up because by the... Language of the narrative, they asked him and kept asking him and kept asking him, You gotta tell us, you gotta tell us now. Well, does she need to be stoned or does she not? You got to take a stand. You just gotta tell us right now. It's easy to get pulled into those debates, isn't it? And Jesus ignored the irrelevant debate. It's a good lesson for us. As Christians, sometimes, especially during political seasons we can be drawn into irrelevant debates, things that don't really matter when it comes to the real objective of the church, the real objective of Christ-like behavior, the real mission that we're on is to reach the world with the love of Christ. Sometimes we get pulled into debates that are totally irrelevant, totally useless and unnecessary. Jesus ignores the debate. And then he writes something very important it says Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground as though he did not hear what did Jesus write well this passage of scripture is silent on that sort of but there's an important clue found in the book of Jeremiah if you'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. Keep your place in the book of John. We'll be right back over there in just a minute. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Now, the first statement, you say, aha, we have it there. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth. Their names are written in the dirt, but now the Next statement is equally important, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. What does this have to do with anything? We'll turn back to the book of John. John chapter 7. This is the same place a day earlier. The same place a day earlier. Jesus is teaching. They have heard his teaching. They have heard what he says in John chapter 7. Verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Wow. The book of Jeremiah says, I will write the names in the earth. Of those who rejected me, the fountain of living water. So Jesus makes the statement about the fountain of living water. What is the response in the mindset of the Pharisees around him? Well, the seventh, the seventh chapter of John tells us several things. Look in verse 19. Jesus is speaking and said, Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Verse 25. Some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? Verse 30. Therefore they sought to take him. No one laid a hand on him because his hour has not yet come. Then, of course, we understand in verse 44. Some of them wanted to take him. No one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees and said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Nobody ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law. He is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? They answered and said to him, Are you from Galilee? Search and look. No prophet has arisen out of Galilee. It is obvious the scribes and the Pharisees have rejected Jesus Christ who said, I will give you fountains of living water. That is exactly what is mentioned in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. And Jesus stooped and wrote in the dirt. The clue in Jeremiah says he very likely could have been writing their names. Now, that's really not enough to see the response that we have here, but then that's where this passage of scripture gives us a very important clue. And it's not in the English translation, it's in the original language. It's a good indication. You see, it says he wrote in the dirt the word write as is mentioned in most places in the scripture in the original greek is grapho where we get graphic grapho that's not the word john uses here he writes something very specific john uses the greek word kata grapho literally to write against to write against It is a technical term, and listen to this. The technical term means to write an accusation against someone. Two Greek scholars, Robertson and Barclay, mentioned that this is a very technical legal term. It's talking about an indictment, to write an indictment. The book of Jeremiah says he's naming names. And the original Greek says he's writing indictments. So they're clamoring, you've got to do something with this woman and her hideous sin. And Jesus very quietly writing on the ground, very likely writing names and sins. Names and sins. And they keep on asking. Finally, they, s- they start falling silent. The oldest leave. Now, why do you think the oldest left first? Well, two things. They probably had more sins. And they knew better than to stick around. The young guys were still zealous. and They really wanted to fight. And finally, they couldn't take it anymore, and they left. Now, in the middle of all this, you know what Jesus does? He stands up after he's writing names and sins, names and sins, and says... He of you that is without sin, let him cast a stone. I believe the King James says let him cast the first stone. That is even more accurate. The article is definite. He didn't say just cast a stone. He said cast the stone. You see, it's quite important. The law didn't just say a person had to be stoned if they were taken in a transgression. It says the leading witness had to cast the first stone. That tells me there was no witness even there. Jesus trapped the trappers. And that's the way it is with anyone who dares to try to argue with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It never works. Jesus Christ will counter every human argument. And then Jesus reveals who he is. First of all, he reveals who he is by his statement. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is not the only time he said this statement. If you turn to chapter 12, verse 35, just a couple of pages over. Chapter 35, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness should overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And in verse 46, I am come as a light to the world. Whoever believes in me shall not Abide in darkness. That's his statement. That's his statement. Now let's look at his actions. First of all, what do his actions, what does his statement have to do with this event? You make the, this almost looks like it's out of place. Him saying the light of the world right on the heels of what happened there in the courtyard with the woman that was taken in adultery and the, the trappers, of course, that were trapped. Does this fit in anywhere? A little bit of background here of where and when this was. This was, of course, in the treasury part of the court. I think that's in verse uh, 20 of this passage of Scripture. This is, of course, the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles celebrated the column of fire that went through the wilderness and lit the way for the children of Israel. On the last night of the feast, which had been the night before, there were four huge candelabra in this courtyard. Those big candelabra would be lit, and they were very tall. And there was so much light emitting from these candelabra that it says every courtyard in Jerusalem was lit by the light. It's in this backdrop that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You're celebrating the light that went through the wilderness. I'm the light, and if you'll follow me, you'll never abide in darkness. But then what does his statements have to do with what just happened with the scribes and the Pharisees and the woman? We're not dealing with light versus night. We're dealing with light versus darkness Specifically, spiritual darkness. We are dealing with light versus evil. In the book of John chapter 3, very familiar passage of Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16. But let's read a little bit further, and you'll see exactly what Jesus is saying about walking in darkness and his being the light. John chapter 3, verse 16 you know this scripture by heart. A lot of my Juana kids know this by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness because their deeds were evil. Boom, darkness is love of evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should, should be exposed. He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So we understand we're not talking about light versus night. We're talking about light versus evil. Spiritual darkness is what Jesus said. He who comes to me and follows me shall not walk in darkness. I'm the light of the world. So the light very much has a lot to do with this passage of Scripture, this event, because the light of Jesus Christ illuminated the evil deeds of their hearts. It illuminated the evil intentions. Their objectives were to set a trap for Jesus. Nobody could see this until Jesus shined the light on it. Jesus shined the light on what was unseen by others deep in their hearts. You see, that's the light of Jesus Christ. So we understand the light had something to do because Jesus shined the light and revealed the evil of their hearts and hers. Because, see, by no means are we looking at this passage of Scripture, and Jesus said, I, ladies, it wasn't that bad. Just go ahead and get out of here. He said, go and sin no more. And what he was saying is this, what you're doing is wrong. Stop it. How much plainer can you get? He didn't condone what she was doing. It was clearly wrong. It was clearly wrong, and it was a sin, of course, like all sins, that was worthy of spiritual death. It was clearly wrong. He wasn't condoning wayward behavior that society may have somehow decided it was okay, wink, wink, and it's all right, everybody's doing it. He said, you're sinning, stop it. But you see, this clearly presents his whole mission, and watch this. Don't miss this. Jesus Stood between a convicted sinner and the punishment of the law. That's the whole mission of the cross. Jesus stood between a convicted sinner, that's us, and the judgment of the law. That's, that's what he came to do. Did Jesus ignore her sin or minimize it? Why didn't he tell her that no, he doesn't condemn her? Well, there's one word read close. And catch this one word, and you realize the change. Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but this woman. He said, woman, where are those accused of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Did you catch the word? Is there anybody here to condemn you? She said, nobody. Nobody. Lord. She claimed Jesus as Lord. And then there was no condemnation. She didn't merit this. She didn't deserve this. She didn't deserve free pardon. But none of us do. But by her saying that one word, Lord. She could have called him rabbi like everybody else. But she didn't call him that. She acknowledged him as Lord. And when she acknowledged him as Lord, it made all the difference. It'll make the difference in your life, make the difference in my life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness of sin and danger and eternal doom, but shall walk in the light. She knew that. She called him Lord. Have you done that? As a prayer for an invitational hymn, where are we in this passage of Scripture? Do we find ourselves quite a bit judgmental of somebody whose sins aren't like ours? Do we find ourselves harsh and bitter against people who should be getting compassion in the message of Jesus Christ? Do we find ourselves caught up in senseless debates? Jesus ignored all that. He got straight to the point straight to the point of illuminating sin. He illuminates sin in our hearts so we can deal with it. The only way to deal with it is to find the forgiveness that he so freely offers through the price that he paid on the cross. Do you know this? As we stand and sing.